your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire! Welcome once again to the Blocking Charge Cast. I am your host, Andrew Kraszewski. Pulling a little bit of a switcheroo on my usual podcast arrangement with today's partner. That's our Illinois correspondent, Steve Braun, a.k.a. Thumposaurus. Steve, welcome back to the Basket Cast. Your dog thinks my hand is delicious. He tends to think a lot of extremities are delicious. Uh, It has been a couple hours since he last licked my foot, though, so you should be in decent enough shape there, you know, nice fresh dog saliva for you. So, since we last convened, I mean, not you and I, but the basket cast in general. The basket brain trust. Right, obviously the conference race has moved substantially closer to the end. We're here Sunday night, the last game of the weekend, Minnesota-Wisconsin is underway. The Badgers have a about an eight-point lead at the moment. Started out 10-3 Gophers. Yeah, it looks, though, like that may have just been kind of like, like a death throw sort of thing. because Dead cat bounce. Yeah, because Minnesota really needed this game for their tournament hopes. I mean, their conference positioning-wise, they're way down at the bottom anyway, but they needed to scratch and claw every last win they possibly could out of this season. Again, we'll kind of go team by team and talk NCAA tournament hopes, but since that game hap- is happening right now... This kind of confirms that short of winning the Big Ten tournament, Minnesota's not going to be going dancing this year. Is and Will Richard now in the part where every press conference seems like it could have the moment that you know it's over? Possibly, like, like the, but... You, you know what I mean? When a coach is just kind of flailing, and then they have a press conference after a loss or something, and they, they, they say something where you're just like, oh no, this is... A, I, I mean... Well, I'll, I'll tell you, actually... The guy I think that about more is Archie Miller, but yeah, uh, we'll, like, we'll we'll go in a little more into depth on those individual teams as we go on here. From a big picture standpoint, though, even with yesterday's kind of surprising home loss, their first of the season, Maryland remains in the driver's seat with just a couple of games to go. Now they have a tough couple of games left. A lot of the contenders, in fact, are playing each other. Um, Maryland again because they held serve at home all season. You know, we the first month or so of the conference, home teams were winning better than 80% of the games. That obviously didn't maintain over the course of the whole season. And it they, never they, No, to. and it's the teams that were able to win big road games like Maryland, like Penn State, even like Michigan State, that have found themselves at the top of the standings. That's really been the separator this year. Because, yeah, did, did Maryland play MSU twice? Yes, they split each. The road team won both games. Ah, okay. Still, though, Maryland, right now, at the top of the conference standings... Maryland, Michigan State, Illinois, and um, oh, and Wisconsin's in there too. Yeah, I'm not mistaken. But Maryland beat Michigan State on the road, swept Illinois. I mean, that's kind of all there is to it. They've won. They've they've got the tiebreakers over everyone, even if it comes down to that. Right. Well, and when we say tiebreakers, that would be for seeding the Big Ten tournament. Since as Purdue fans saltily reminded me earlier this year, actually head-to-head results don't matter, and you know. We do split titles here. Um, but the thing is, it normally, when we're talking about how do you order teams in the conference, 
there's some kind of separation between the clear top and then what we always refer to as the mushy middle. It's the same thing with football. But this time around, I mean, there's Maryland with a one-game lead at the moment, but assuming Wisconsin's able to hold on, there are then three teams tied for second place just one game behind Maryland, and then there's two more teams just two games out um, in Penn State and Iowa. So uh, you've got six teams here that could all have feasibly have a share of the title. I mean, it's a Ohio, big spectrum, yeah. right? So you have Maryland, then you had three teams, one game back, two game, two teams, two games back. Ohio State stands alone at three, then four games back. There's two teams, then there's two teams, five games back. Minnesota's five and a half, and then you get the news. Right, and that's part of the reason why we've got this cluster at the top is because there's I think there's more separation between the middle and bottom of the conference than there usually is. Um, that separation, again, we usually have between the top and the middle, but I guess what we're going to find out once the, once the tournament comes around, I mean, not that that's actually a fair way to measure this, but... What we're gonna see come tournament time, from an, you know, in the, the opinion of the national perspective, is whether the conference is actually this good across the board, or if it's just a matter of actually there were no excellent teams in the Big Ten this year and they're all just beating up on each other. By any of the metrics, especially Ken Palm, that's not true. In the Big Ten, is by far the strongest team in the conference this year. Other than Northwestern and Nebraska, the rest of the conference is within the top 38 of Ken Palm. Indiana is 38. Everyone else is higher than that. Three teams in the top 10, I think five or six in the top 20. Incredibly strong resume for the conference at large this year, which if you're a fan of a team such as Purdue, such as Indiana, such as Minnesota, maybe there is a scenario where your team still gets into the tournament without winning the Big Ten title. Obviously, you can't lose any more games before then. But the computers are and the metrics are going to give a lot of respect to what you've accomplished this year, even if your overall record is pretty bad. You know, Purdue is going to be tough because a 500 team making the tournament, that we don't see that very often. Same thing for Minnesota. Um, but even teams like Rutgers, which, you know, a month ago... They were right in the picture at the top of the conference. They've obviously... seem to be a lock for the tournament. Yeah, they've fallen back to earth substantially, and they're the one team in the conference whose schedule is really going to hurt them. So we'll see how that shakes out again. They have a couple of opportunities down the stretch here to put some more you know, pelts on the wall that should really help their case with the, with the, tur- with the tournament committee. But you know, the other thing... A month ago, Purdue was not at the top of the conference, but they hadn't quite fallen off the way that they have so far. So, but Purdue had still at that point lost to Nebraska. Right, which, you know, I wonder at the end of the year what we're going to consider kind of the more surprising result. Because every time I watch Purdue, they seem to play badly. And every time... It makes me more and more mystified about how they just beat the brakes off of Michigan State. Now, granted, that was at Mackey, which is a really difficult place to play. And it was earlier in the season. Michigan State was still figuring himself out, I guess. That's still that's going to be a result that confuses me for a long, long time. They also beat Iowa by 35. Yeah. Yeah, which... Well, 30, roughly 35. More than 30. So... I wonder if we're going to find that more confusing or if the results of either Nebraska or Northwestern beating anybody else in the conference would be more would be more surprising at the Purdue end of the season. Purdue 
gives off strong 2019 Illini football energy. Because you look here, you see wins uh, against VCU. That's a good win. Of course, obviously the Michigan State win, huge. Um, you know, that win against Iowa was also very impressive. Then you have the loss to Nebraska. And you have a 37-point outing against Illinois. Like. <laughs> they're, they're certainly a random number generator. Um, now, again, as, as we mentioned a minute ago, there's a lot of high-stakes games left. Um, you get, you're really going to want to clear your schedule Tuesday, Thursday, and I can make an argument for all weekend, but definitely Sunday, um, where you have at least three teams involved. Often in games against each other, they're going to have big implications for the title race. So yeah, Tuesday's events will Tuesday's events will definitely determine who's got a clear path to number one, or whether or not there's going to be a contested convention. Because Tuesday's results are going to go a long way towards determining that. Yeah, and so speaking of Tuesday, you have Maryland going to Rutgers. Um, Maryland only has the one loss at home, but this is a road game against a Rutgers team that really badly needs this win. Also on Tuesday, Michigan State at Penn State. Both of those teams need a win to stay a pace of Maryland to have a chance of forcing a tie atop the conference if Maryland should slip up. Uh, Penn State already beat Michigan State on the road, but this is a weeknight game at Penn State. Crowd is likely not going to be as much of a factor as it typically is in the Big Ten. So, and, you know, the other thing is Michigan State just played its best game of the season in a wire-to-wire, fairly controlling win over Maryland. So that's going to be an interesting one. And looking ahead to the weekend, again, the big ones, and I should probably backtrack to Thursday before I do that, actually, because um, we do have a game now with Illinois at Ohio State that a, a couple weeks ago I would have thought Illinois, yeah, road games are tough, but they were substantially better. Ohio State has really picked themselves up off the mat, though, they're not going to be in the picture for the conference title. It's a bit too late for that. But there's certainly they've certainly regained their footing for a tournament bid. And they're, I don't think they're a team that anybody's going to want to see as, like, the seven in their bracket. If you're a one or a two seed, for example. Right. Um, I they've think, got a high ceiling. Yeah. I think you want to avoid them as, like, your sweet 16 matchup um, after they've had a little bit of time to rest. Because they, they played with a short bench, but they were able to get the season sweep over Michigan today. But I mean, but also though Illinois is one of two teams with winning road records in, um, what is that overall or in conference? No, not in conference. With winning records on the road in the Big Ten. Yeah. Um, and so I guess those are the rules to qualify for this debate: were that your team must have a winning record on the road, which is why we're the only two people in this one. Uh, you right. can't buy your way onto this podcast. <laughs> That said, we're going to pause for about seven minutes of Mike Bloomberg ads right now. So we'll see you on the other side of the break. Welcome back. (laughs) So continuing to wrap up the end of the Big Ten schedule here again. First weekend of March, a lot of interesting games. Saturday, you've got games that mean different things for the participants, right? Wisconsin, Rutgers, and Penn State are all on the road. Wisconsin and Penn State certainly hope that they're still going to be in the picture for the conference title at that point. Going on the road, Wisconsin to Indiana, a team that obviously can't, you know, has no margin for error to speak of. Penn State going to Northwestern, which is a bit of a different animal to be sure, but 
They actually played kind of an interesting game today against Nebraska. Not that it's a sign that they're turning a corner or anything, but there, it definitely was a sign that they haven't folded the tents on the season, which if, you're, if you've got two conference wins in the first weekend of March, it would be pretty easy to kind of go through the motions. But there were really no signs today from either of those teams doing that, despite being in the record position they're in, which you, know, you got to give coaches there some credit. And then Rutgers going to Purdue to conclude the season, which Ooh. after hosting Maryland earlier in the week, if Rutgers goes 0 for 2 on this season, I think they're also in a position. They got to at least get to the final of the Big Ten tournament, pick up a couple of wins to get themselves in the tournament picture. And then they're going really, to be at the mercy of the bubble. Because really, there's not really at that point a reason to pick them unless the rack is one of the, the first round tournament sites. Yeah. And I, <laughs> they've won says, one game away from home. Yeah. Which is which is fewer than Northwestern, right? And it's just mystifying because even you know you think about like the early season tournaments most teams play in. This is kind of why you do that is to establish you've got some bona fides away from your home crowd. Did you see by the way? I don't know how serious this is, but I saw it in, at least in passing on Twitter that there's some consideration to playing NCAA tournament games in empty gyms because of a coronavirus. Oh my God! <laughs> Can you imagine? How eerie that would be. And first of all... With Northwestern not in the field, I don't know who that benefits. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's the thing. Like, Penn I, State. Oh, yeah. Penn oh, State. My God, if that's course. the case, Penn State's winning yeah. the title. Lock, lock it up for Penn State. <laughs> Bet okay, the house. I actually watched a little bit just because I was so curious. I had to see this. Do you remember a few years ago when there were protests in Baltimore... And they just decided to play the White Sox at, at Orioles, Orioles game. in an empty stadium. In an empty stadium. Basically to prevent people from being out and about in Baltimore, yes. That was the weirdest thing yeah. I've ever witnessed. And that was baseball, where at best the crowd noise is disinterested discussion at a party like two you know, like twenty feet away from you. Like that's the most chatter you get at a baseball game, other than like an ALCS elimination game or something. Now convert that the weirdness of that into a basketball tournament where, yes, even at these neutral sites where the whole crowd isn't going to be for one team or the other, if you add an NCAA tournament game, you are interested, you are live, you are making noise. It's going to be so eerie if that comes to pass. We're going down a little bit down a rabbit hole. Oh, my God. Considering this is just a Wait. rumor. but So if they played with, with, with no people, would they bring the bands? <laughs> Because then, imagine just like... Echoing silence of there not even being the bands. And if not, then the, obviously the stadium DJ finally has free domain <laughs> over the entire broadcast. Uh, what I wonder, man, if you, have no, if you have no crowd there, well then, would it just... Um, Hi, I'm Gus Johnson. Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> just get... Get that going on. Maybe they don't really. Maybe they just put some ambient mics in there. Yeah. It's like on NCAA football, the game when when your team does not really merit national TV coverage yet. Yeah. So so you don't have the the <laughs> you don't have, so, so you don't have Brad Nessler, just... Lee Corso, and Kirk Herbstreit. They just they just can't be bothered. Um, what is cool about this if they do this is that well, now they can kind of play the games wherever they want, right? Because you're not worried about seating capacity. Well, yeah, you're only worried about TV. So, so they could play it at the Arena 
in Auburn Hills, they could totally have one there. Sure. I mean, the venues are obviously already <laughs> locked up and, and done. But they, Oh, my God. Uh, they could have one at the Corn Palace. <laughs> Is that... Well, there, there used to be an NAIA team that that played home games at the Corn Palace. I don't remember. I did a piece about, you know, eight Big Ten tournament venues that we should use. And in that research, I found out that there was, in fact, an NAIA team that called it home. Yeah. Well, how can we ever do anything anywhere other than Indianapolis or Chicago? Those are the only cities in the conference footprint. My favorite one that I proposed was the Uber Dome. That oh, yeah. By a mile. I would that go would market for that, of course. Uh, anyway, the last few games, as we mentioned, Sunday in the Big Ten will be uh, a hell of a string of games. Michigan at Maryland, Ohio State at Michigan State, Iowa at Illinois. Uh, those those are all, with the exception of Michigan, going to be teams right in the picture for the conference title. Again, pending this week's results, but boy, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come right down to the finish. The other thing about this is that it makes it a little bit hard for us to prognosticate much about the Big Ten tournament. We can make some reasonable inferences about who's going to be at the bottom, but there are still a lot of scenarios that are live basically from about, from from what, like 10 up? There are teams that can move up or down as much as four spots. So yeah, um, you're talking about big differences. Well, in- honestly, though, everything outside of Nebraska and Northwestern could be in flux. Yeah, well, as you said, even if they lose tonight, Minnesota will be six games out of first place with two games to play. So there's again, there's a lot of teams between. So yeah, the they could they could at that point so. easily leap up. Out of Wednesday, yeah. Uh, and Not looking, easily; they need help, but still. Yeah, they would need some help in front of them. But it's um, a seven-point game with eleven fourteen left in the second half. Wisconsin's still leading, so assuming that that result pans out, then yeah, a six-game difference amongst the top twelve teams in the conference. So we know Minnesota, or I'm sorry, Minnesota, Northwestern and Nebraska are both going to be playing on Wednesday. We're just not sure who else is at this point. So we've skirted around this a little bit. As far as bids to the NCAA tournament, in my mind, obviously, Maryland, Michigan State, Illinois, Penn State, Iowa, Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin. Eight safe bids? Does that, I mean, is that unreasonable? Is there really anyone in that group that you think is still in any peril? I mean, I don't think so. Michigan State, or not Michigan State, Michigan did enough damage in the non-conference that's still go- that's still going to be they beat Gonzaga. Yeah, that's going to get them. They beat that alone yeah. is going to is going to do an awful lot for their resume. And, and they played a formidable schedule too. I mean, they lost that game to Oregon, but they still played them and played them to the last second. Um, no, I don't think Michigan's in any real danger. But yeah, I mean, they're the only. It's them and Ohio State of that group of eight that you look at as possibly being in danger. But Ohio State is twenty and nine now yeah. overall. Yeah, and the that, only the only one of those besides Michigan. So Michigan's got the most losses out of that group, but they've also got some very impressive non-conference wins. Wisconsin, yeah. is eighteen and ten overall, yeah. but they also, if they win tonight, then they're one game out of first place. Yeah, in the in the Big Ten, no less, and that'll be win number nineteen. So, yeah, it's probably look. Wisconsin obviously can't lose both games they play, but when you look at their schedule the rest of the way, last two games, if this will load, um, 
versus Rutgers, or no, I'm sorry, versus Northwestern and at Indiana. So that's a manageable conclusion to the season. Now, granted, Indiana can be a little bit of a squirrely venue for reasons other than the quality of the team, shall we say. Um, but anyway, you have to feel good about Wisconsin being able to get the win over Northwestern, at least. And I think that's probably, if only because it removes the chance for any more bad losses functionally. I mean, it, sure, in the second round of the Big Ten tournament, could they lose to a Purdue team that gets looked at unkindly? Sure. But again, as we mentioned, Purdue's a top 25 Ken Palm team. Yeah. So even with a sub-500 record, I don't think that's going to cost them too much. So, no, I think there are eight for sure bids in this conference. Rutgers and Indiana, to me, are the two that are still up in the air. I think Rutgers may have the better claim. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say so. At this point, almost certainly. Uh, losing to Illinois hurt Indiana's case pretty badly. Badly, yeah. Because, I mean, it's still going to be a quad one loss, but it's a home loss. Well, it's no, that was that was a road loss. Oh, was well, no, My point is right. more that it was the biggest opportunity they had left. Yes. Yes, that's certainly the case. Although, hosting Wisconsin is going to do something for them, but they've, they've got to win that game. And right now, looking at the way these two teams are playing... There's no reason to think Indiana's going to beat Wisconsin. Um, they do also host, they host Minnesota as well. So they've got a couple of home games where they've been substantially better than they have been on the road. Again, not that that's unusual. but um, Are we being chased off by another Bloomberg ad? Mike Bloomberg. They say it matters that he's short. He has five inches on Wake Forest basketball legend Muggsy Bogues. Muggsy Bogues blocked 39 shots throughout his NBA career, including one of Patrick Ewing. Mike Bloomberg is definitely tall enough to block Patrick Ewing. (laughs) You think he can't block any legislative agenda? I'm Mike Bloomberg, and I approve this message. We're going to get a cease and desist before this episode even drops. But. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, so. Muggsy Bogues has 39 career block shots, and one was Patrick Ewing. Yeah. All right. So we'll pivot away a little bit from the remaining basketball and get back to philosophizing then. So in terms of season-long storylines here, there is a pretty remarkable class that's about to leave um, from the Big Ten. Cassius Winston, Anthony Cowan, um, Lamar Stevens. You could even throw Xavier Simpson with this group, although I don't. I think that's not really a, a, an equal comparison. But those first three guys are all going to leave their names all over their school's record books. Winston broke the conference assist record earlier this year. Cowan, I think, has a pretty good chance to break Maryland's minutes played record. He's wow. certainly top 10 in scoring. I don't remember exactly where he is right now. Um yeah, so this was real. This is a season. This is an upperclassman driven league this year. I guess that's what I'll say. There's a lot of sophomores and juniors too. And aside from Trace Jackson Davis and Kofi Coburn, there really aren't a whole lot of obvious high impact freshmen. There are guys who I think will be good. Boo Booey at Northwestern. Um, I even kind of liked what I saw from Joe Toussaint, which is Iowa's point guard, but he may or may not even be their starter next year. So. I've been a bit surprised that there hasn't been more from Ohio State's sophomores. I guess I'm specifically thinking EJ Little. Yeah, I thought would be a much bigger deal by now. Wasn't isn't he? Isn't that the freshman class though, with him and Carton and Gaffney? 
Oh, that freshman, yeah. Yeah, I, I get what you mean, though. And I, the Carton thing was obviously a weird story. And I think if he was still with the team, and it sounds like he may be back at some point, um, he would probably be a little bit more in this picture. But it's honestly, in a funny way, they sort of started to get themselves back together after he stepped away. Not that that's related, but it's just funny how things don't necessarily work out the way you expect they're going to. Because Ohio State climbed up into the top five, and then there was just this concerted effort by the rest of the Big Ten to be like, no, 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 push, no, push. get out of here, get out of here. <laughs> and then they find them, th- and then there was that situation where they were ranked and they were like, Twelfth in the league, yeah, and they were like two, they were like two and six or something in the league at some like, point. No, or, or worse. stop ranking yeah. them, stop they, it. But they were still in the top twenty, yeah. Um, oh, other seniors that that have left their mark include Kipper Nichols, who's definitely the Joseph Bertrand of this era. By which I mean a guard who, not a guard, a forward who's like athletic and then can't seem to do things that are smart basketball plays it's a ever. Deep cut. Um, but I suppose so. But like, but like, maybe had one game where you were just like, "Oh, okay, I see how he could be good if he were totally different, <laughs> or if he was like this every game." Sure. The other thing, which has been said plenty by a lot of other sources, he has a successor, but... which is Tevin Jones. So a lot of other sources are indicating it, it's been an incredible season for big men in the conference. Pretty much every team has a guy that you could make an argument for some kind of All-American status. With two notable exceptions. Right. The two teams at the bottom of the conference. And that's honestly, to me, this is part of what's pushed the gap between Northwestern and Nebraska as wide as it is this year is because their big guys are either young in the case of Northwestern, not just Ryan Young, but young generally, or they just don't have the bodies in the case of Nebraska where I think their tallest guy is like 6'9". Um, you know, again, six nine, short. Uh, only in college basketball. But if you just go, but up also and, sometimes in pro. Yeah, but just just run your just run through every other team in the conference where you've got. I mean, Garza is probably he's certainly a finalist for National Player of the Year. If he doesn't win, it's only because Iowa is not a media powerhouse. They'd rather give it to Devon Dotson or something. Although I guess my argument doesn't hold water if Miles Powell ends up winning. I mean, they um, they you know. There's no reason they couldn't give it to Zion Williamson. They still find ways to throw up a graphic of that of his mug taking up half the screen during college basketball games, which I thought our long national nightmare was over when he went to to the NBA. But have you considered Zoin recently? I have not. ESPN would like you to consider Zoin during this Michigan State Maryland game. Consider Zoin, please, viewer. Please also consider that John Morant has played the whole season. And is a mile better than Zion when he's on the floor. I get that Williamson is going to be good. I don't need I don't need advertisements during a completely unrelated college game about him. All right. So anyway, Garza is certainly going to be a national... He's going to be a wooden finalist. He should probably win it. He's going to take an absolute sledgehammer to Iowa's single-season scoring record, even if they get kicked out of the first round of the Big Ten and NCAA tournaments. And if they make any kind of run at all, he's going to set that record by, like, 200 points. So, uh, you know, considering Iowa, you know, not the most illustrious basketball history in the country, but they've had guys who can put points on the board. So his season, we've talked about plenty in past episodes, but... 
really bears repeating. I mean, whether he goes pro or not, what we're seeing here is not the typical. But the thing is, aside from him, if you were filling out a first-team all-conference ballot, I don't know how you pick the forwards because you've got Garza, who I don't think you can leave off the ballot. But after that, you've got Jalen Smith, Xavier Tillman, Daniel Oturu, Caleb Wesson, Kofi Coburn, Trace Jackson Davis. It, you could even throw up guys like John Teske, Travion Williams. Um, he, he doesn't even start, but Micah Potter has been such a spark plug for Wisconsin. Him becoming eligible is what turned around their season. Um, even when they lost their second leading scorer, because in my mind, mostly because of Potter's contributions and that they now have a couple of big guys who can actually play, um, every team in the league has guys that can wreck you if you don't prep for them. And the thing is, of all those guys I just listed, John Teske's the only senior. It's it's guaranteed that some of them are going to go pro early, but if they don't, can you imagine the the level of big guy play that we would see next year if all those guys came back? Well, imagine... And then also, if if Georgie Bishanishvili ever came back. There's not going to... I mean, look, there's not space for two guys there to start and play 40 minutes at the five <laughs> on one team. I mean, he got kicked to power forward. Illinois' offense doesn't really incorporate two giants like that. And he because he doesn't shoot, there's just not space for him. That, that in my mind, him. is the easiest explanation for what happened to him this year. I just... He's he's at this point though in trying to play the forward having a 2011 Adam Dunn type season where just like every single time he misses a bunny it gets sadder and sadder he was he, he had a very sad possession where he missed three point he missed three point blank layups in a row at Northwestern got got the rebounds and kept missing anyway who of those that we've just mentioned do you see leaving I think Jalen Smith's a no brainer because he can shoot the three yeah he's I mean, look, if you're a big guy in today's basketball environment, the question is basically, if you're thinking about going to the NBA, it's, well, are you Jaron Jackson, Anthony Davis, in that you can shoot the three and you're a giant spring guy, or are you Clint Capella, where you are a giant slam dunky defensive presence, like Capella or Gobert? Like, there's, there's only two models for the modern big men in the NBA. If you fit either of those, you should go. I don't think Smith is quite the vol is not he hasn't been the volume of shooter that makes me think he's Jaron Jackson. But I think teams are gonna look at him and they're gonna see that. So he probably should go. Um, other than that, Xavier Tillman is a flexible enough defensive player. He's not a great shooter, but his form at least is workable. Like an NBA team, again, is gonna look at him and be like, yeah, we can do something with that. Um, he plays bigger than his actual size. Looking at other guys, I mean, Oturu can shoot a little bit. He's a bit. His game is a little bit more like Tillman on steroids in that he's definitely more post-oriented and he's a more volume shooter. I think he's probably going to be appealing as well. Wesson, I was a little surprised that he came back this year, so yeah. I think he's probably gone. His brother's a year above him and is graduating. It would obviously make some sense if he went pro. Um Coburn's the interesting guy on that list, well, isn't he? The thing is, the NBA already has Andre Drummond, <laughs> right? And that's <laughs> to be clear I mean, at that's... this point that like, and that's not to say that Kofi couldn't become a definite lottery pick. Oh, There's yeah, just a think... lot missing from his game as far as the modern NBA is concerned yeah. because he's not a really fast guy no. by any stretch of the imagination, and 
I mean, I think he can shoot. He's not a poor free throw shooter. He's a fairly good free throw shooter. No, for I, it's I, just I, that he I think doesn't. Un, I think Underwood would just tase him if he took a shot more than five feet away from the basket because because he's just so much better at that. Yeah, and that's it's. He's got a. That's not dissimilar from Nick Ward, for example, a couple yeah. years ago, where he's so devastating in the post that, yeah, he might not be a bad shooter, but taking him away from the basket where he's ravaging the opposing front court by drawing fouls, getting easier shots, and has the opportunity for putbacks and offensive rebounds, like no college coach is going to suborn the interest of the player, which is shooting as many threes as he can put on tape um, to the interest of the team, which is you are big and strong and we need you close to the basket. <laughs> so, um, Well, he couldn't possibly be much worse from outside than Devontae Williams. Or Georgie. He made a... Hey, Williams made a three and another and we one finally, win And we today, finally so. won a game where he yeah. made a three. So you know, he made a three so and a dunk. These, these things come around given big enough sample sizes. But uh, um, Jackson he, Davis has always felt like a one-and-done... Although, he, you know, I'm trying to think of the games I've watched. I don't really see him shoot much from outside, but I, I, he doesn't feel like a two-year player. Um, Travion Williams, I don't think, is going to be in demand in the NBA. I mean, if Nick Ward wasn't, Travion Williams' is war is basically just a clone of Nick Ward. Like, that's mostly what he is. Um, Micah Potter, likewise. I don't expect he's going to be leaving early because, again, he doesn't start, you know. So, so yeah, I, we'll see. Obviously... It's one thing to look at, you know, kind of eyeball a guy's tape and be like, oh, yeah, I think the NBA would probably want this guy. <laughs> not only are we not NBA scouts, but we know nothing about the motivations of any of these guys. I mean, Tillman just had his second kid. Presumably, he's under some pressure to bring some money in, but um, I don't know. Even being, even following MSU as closely as I do, that's really never been mentioned. So, uh, <laughs> in fact, all that's been mentioned is that after his uh, after his son was born, he was happy to play a couple of road games because he could actually sleep the night. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. All right, so we'll wrap this up with some all-conference prognostication. First of all, do you disagree that the four guys who probably belong on the list for sure would be Winston, Cowan, Stevens, Garza? Any dispute there? Not really. It's hard to... Um... You know who I'm going to stump for, though. We'll make your argument. Ayo Desunmu has... I, it is just ridiculous how many big moments he's come up in. Uh, today's game, even. Very late in that one, he hit a three right in the face of a defender that pushed the lead out to, to five. And then he also iced the game with two free throws late after we missed our chance to do that. He's assassinated several teams with last-minute shots, and um, somehow he's been even better since tweaking his knee against Michigan State. Um, he, he had, you know, those, those kind of... Sh- he had that kind of shot to keep a win intact against Penn State on the road. And as far as, I mean, statistically speaking, he's... He's up there in the upper reaches of the conference, but God, there is there, there are a few people that mean more to a team than than that dude does. I mean, yeah. he's he's just he's the guy that everybody looks to, uh, averaging six point four a game, four point three rebounds, three point two assists. I think when the ballots when the awards come out, you're going to be right, and Isles going to be the fifth guy. 
for the for the second part, which is that he's got the high visibility moments. Um, when you talk about a basketball award, it, there's a lot of information to pour through. It's always fun to say, oh, these reporters don't actually watch all the games. Obviously, nobody can watch all the games unless your full-time job is to watch these games and analyze tape as an analyst for one of the teams. Um, I think Iowa's probably going to take the fifth spot. My argument would actually be for Jalen Smith. And if it seems... That's perfectly defensible. The only thing that gave me some pause is, well, look, with as tight as the conference races this year, there's got to be got like, there's so many teams that are right there in the picture, which in a way says a little bit about the team concept of, for example, a Wisconsin, where if you were to try to find one of their guys to put on the first team at, what, Nate Reavers? I think he's their leading scorer. Um, Demetric Trice is a pretty reliable three-point shooter. Are you going to put either of them first team all-conference? No. Um, so it really kind of speaks to the team concept that Wisconsin has created this year. Um, with you know, Especially in the light of the kind of unusual circumstance of having one of your better players leave in the middle of the season for what to me remain kind of unclear reasons. Um, but that's about all that needs to be said about that, I think. So my argument for Smith is that both he and Cowan are so, as you mentioned, essential to what their team does. If either of them is on the bench for any period of time, Maryland becomes an unworkable mess because, first of all, the only threat that you have to account for is the other guy. Um, if both of them were ever to sit for any period of time, this is like this is a team that's going to be hovering right down there with Nebraska and or Northwestern. So those two, I mean, again... Maybe this is a recency bias because I just saw Smith have an excellent game against Michigan State, even in a losing effort. Um, <laughs> if you ask me, if you had asked me after the Iowa game, I would have said, "Oh, probably Joe Wieskamp or something." <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> whoever I've seen recently. It's this is a really difficult call, and there are a lot of excellent teams in the conference. Speaking of all conference awards, though, one other thing that we should address. Who is the conference coach of the year for you? Pains me to say this, but all things considered, McCaffrey. Yeah, I think so too. It's probably going to be Greg Gard. Um, Why? Think of from the rebound they made from last year, the transition of losing Ethan Happ, having one of your better players bail in the middle of the season. You had to go half the year without... Micah Potter, they were what, like uh, eight and seven team or something like that before conference play started. Um, that had to be something other than that, but anyway. But then consider Jordan Bohannon. No, right, and I'm not saying that guard should win. I think McCaffrey yeah. will and should. Um, but if I'm if I'm picturing why, <laughs> for whatever reason, despite Iowa being right there in the picture, I mean they're they're a couple games back. They're not right at the top of the race, but. No, I, I think if you, I think anyone who reviews the circumstances all for the entire year is going to say McCaffrey because not only did Bohannon go out a few games in the season, Pat McCaffrey has been sitting the whole season as well. I, I think he had like mono or something, or maybe I'm, maybe that was Connor a couple of years ago. I don't know. For whatever reason, second McCaffrey, who's supposed to be a hell of a player, is redshirting. They also lost C.J. Frederick for a stretch this year, and yet they still, I mean. They're playing seven guys in some games and winning a majority of them in an absolute meat grinder of a conference. Um, I think he's got to be the choice. 
if you're looking for other arguments, Pat Chambers is the only other guy that really comes to mind for me. Again, yeah. I said I think Darn will get some discussion because of the way they've crescendoed towards the end of the year. And in my mind, they've kind of outperformed expectations substantially, Wisconsin has. I don't really recall what preseason expectations were for Penn State. I said I thought they should be good this year or they should move on from Chambers, but I also said that about like half the conference. So maybe that's just me with my elitist Michigan State perspective on things. Being like, what? What you, you ain't won the conference? Gone to the Final Four in the last two seasons? What is your? Co- what are you even doing with your coach, bro? Yeah, sack his ass. I mean, I know so, there's going to be Illini fans upset at me for not stumping for Brad Underwood, but really, the Illinois really was supposed to be pretty yeah, close to this. The game. argument for Brad yeah. Underwood is is just you know the typical oh they sure did lose a lot of games last year yeah. argument, and and that was never supposed to be acceptable. <laughs> right, and remember what the coach of the year really is, the thing we learned from football where Ohio State's coach can basically never win, is that the coach of the year is another way of saying overachiever of the year, right? So, that being said, I am going to give a lot of credit to Brad Underwood as a coach for this oh year yeah. because oh yeah. he did something that I was concerned that he wouldn't do and completely changed his entire strategy. Yeah, he realized, he realized that his defense was not working. His guards were always in foul trouble. His teams always ran out of gas. He realized that's not going to work in the Big Ten. And he yeah, he completely scrapped his, his defense, which absolutely cost Illinois a couple games early in the year. Hi, Miami. But now the results are kind of there. I mean, Illinois is back to being an excellent defensive team. The offense is a little herky-jerky sometimes, but... It's good enough that with this reworked defense, they're right back at the top of the conference. So he he probably, if there was a Coach of the Year award for personal introspection and growth, that's Brad Underwood this year. But in terms of what... He screams yeah. so much less at, at his own players on TV this year, too. I'll probably, probably realize a change was necessary. Well, um... I mean, I'm thinking, like, yeah, he screamed at Kipper so much less. I'm thinking, well, Kipper has also played so much less. True. All right. I, I just I can't get over how funny it was when I saw the, the, the game at, at Michigan when, when Io missed Kipper on an alley-oop, and there's just Brad yelling. You clearly read his lips saying, Io, he can only jump this high, and holding <laughs> his fingers a couple inches apart. <laughs> he can only jump this high. And then a ref just passes by, and he goes, fuck. yeah you know here at the conclusion of the big 10 regular season it's been really an immensely satisfying season to watch uh my own team struggles notwithstanding i I say struggles i mean relative to expectations remember preseason number one um to all the way out of the rankings yes they've struggled all that being said though it's still been a lot of fun to watch really hasn't been it's been a while since Pretty much every team has something to offer, um, even the ones at the very bottom. Like you can see at times where Hoiberg intends for this to go at Nebraska. Yeah, our Nebraska contributors are not really particularly disheartened about the situation because, like, how was their roster situation last year? It was they have one guy on the team who played for them last year. Yeah, one. It, it, you know, it, they knew what the deal was going to be. They knew this was going to be tough, but. You know, to their credit, the team has, has played hard, and you can see. Yeah. You know, you can kind of see why. I mean, they, they clearly love their coach. Um, as for Northwestern, you, they're still very young, and I, I mean, yeah. they're not. I don't think they're going to have quite the ceiling of some other teams. They probably never will. 
But they, again, they have players that you can see if they make the developments you expect of young guys becoming upperclassmen, they could really have something on their hands as well. And in spite of the record result this year, I'm no longer asking myself the question of Northwestern I was at the beginning of this year, which is what the hell went wrong here? Um, obviously, they're not there yet, but at least now you can see it does feel like Collins has at least plugged the holes in the hull, and this thing might not actually sink. Okay, so you're saying that it's buoyant, like a like a buoy, like a boo buoy, boom, boo buoy, boo buoy, boo boom goes the boo dynamite. Um, All right, everyone, we thank you for joining us once again on the Blocking Charge Cast. We're going to take you home now with. Nice eight or nine minutes of Mike Bloomberg ads. Here you go, everybody.